Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We're Getting a Dog Season 5. Hooray, we're back. Yay! New that season. month just flew by, didn't it? <laughs> Definitely For did. For me, it did. Just covered in snow. Absolutely. We're, it's 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 all kind of gone now, but it, yeah. was, it was pretty bad for a while here in Chicago. Yeah, and Just all ice now. Pretty much. Yep, that's what it is. But yeah, welcome too. back, everyone. We're happy to be back for our fifth season. We have a lot planned this Thanks season. Thanks for joining us back. Yes, and for those of you who are new, welcome to the show. We're happy to have you here. We are going to kick right off. Well, maybe not quite yet. Should we do our updates or should we wait? Oh, yeah, apart from the snow. <laughs> apart from the snow. How is how is January for you? Oh, good. Me turned 26 i mean Woo! oh yeah we got an episode after that yes <laughs> but yes you're, so your birthday not happened. a whole lot else i mean it's just work's been busy work so yeah pandemic feels like it's winding down at least in terms Hopefully of business God willing yeah but uh and then i've just been hard at work researching and planning out this next season for everyone and yeah we have a lot in store and i don't know i've been reading a lot i read four books in january wow and uh, you can check out my Goodreads if you want to see what I've read so far. Mm-hmm. Just search me, Wesley Van Hoosen. Hopefully you find me. Um, I think I have it set to public. So, But either way, we are going to get into this episode's breed. And this breed is the Japanese Chin. Wow. Japanese Chin. Yes. I'm going to kick off with a breed description. The Japanese Chin, sitting in the middle of the AKC's registry in terms of popularity, is a breed known for its historical associations with the East Asian royalty and elite class. Nowadays, they're considered a great companion for people of all ages and are especially known for their peculiar cat-like mannerisms. Oh, interesting. So kind of like Shiba Inus. A little bit, yeah. They're very, they're very like little and like their owners and their like little circle of people is what I gather from just that immediate description. I see. So describing what the dog looks like, um, we can open the first photo here also. Those links are down in the description for this episode if you want to check those out. Yeah, this first one's of three dogs. You have like an older one, a prime, and then like a a puppy. (laughs) Puppy just looks shriveled up, like <laughs> teeny, a little tiny bit. version of them. They look they look so cute to me. Uh, the Japanese Chin is a toy breed that is light boned but very structurally sound. They're light, only weighing between seven to twelve pounds oh, total. Okay. Their weight should reflect their size and substance too, in proportion to their body features. They reach from eight to eleven inches in height overall. As far as their body is concerned, their fore and hind legs are very fine boned and straight. They have hair shaped like rabbit shaped feet, with their fur feathering between their toes. Their tail is set high, plumed, and carried with an upcurve over their back, flowing to either side. Hmm. They look. The description sounds a lot like Pomeranians. Kind of, yeah, but almost just like a the the Asian version. And mm. not like a big ball of floof so much. Yeah, they're just like shorter snouted. Yes. Pomeranian speaking of Yeah, speaking of their face and stuff, their Japanese chin's face is inquisitive, alert, and intelligent, according to the AKC. <laughs> their standard describes them as having a, quote, oriental expression. And I wrote in my notes, eye roll. I'll give them inquisitive. I don't know about alert and intelligent. To me, they don't look like a Persian <laughs> They look kind of spaced out. <laughs> or anything that's from the, the Orient... I don't like that term, listeners, those of you who don't already know that. (laughs) They're well known for their short stopped face, scrunched up nose, and large begging eyes. (laughs) That's also from their... (laughs) They're alert and intelligent, but begging. That's they're they're alert for. uh, Yeah. Alert for treats. Their eyes are always set wide apart and are always dark. 
The Japanese chin's eyes can express their intent as well as accentuate their wide face as they don't have proper snouts like a hound or spitz type dog. They also have a small amount of white marking on the inner eye, giving them a near startled look of incredulity. <laughs> so they look incredulous. Yes. But also intelligent. Apparently. Oh my god, what's that? Their, oh, I know what it is. Their I'm skull so shape is somewhat misleading in appearance. The Japanese chin has a rounded large forehead, but its skull is not domed, like a lot of people may think. The top of their skull and the vertical line to their mouth, so like if you like the top of their skull down to where their mouth lines up, that should be a near 45 degree angle. So it's almost like a square face rather than it's like a square rounded face rather than a domed head. Does that make sense? Not quite, but it sounds pretty extreme. <laughs> Concerned about their breathing already, but Oh, that's oh, that's going to be a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh their ears are small and V-shaped with small plumes of fur on them. The ears are carried forward and down when the dog is alert. When not alert, they should fit well into the contours of the dog's face. So they should almost look have like a sleekness look to them, but if they're alert, they should they should kind of frame the little V-shaped ears should frame the face. I see. So that's almost why like normally they look rounded. If you look at an origami dog, it looks like a Japanese chin because the, the, the way you fold the ears are Vs. They're not like hound rounded or like straight down. They're like little Vs that go right alongside the face. Does that make sense? Okay, yeah. I, that's just kind of a, a personal inference there. The Japanese chin's muzzle has larger cheeks that almost plateau into their snout and nose. The upper lip is rounded so that their teeth, which are slightly undershot, are covered. If the dog has one or two teeth sticking out, that is not always penalized by the standard. Because it's just so darn cute. Yep, I guess. We'll let it pass. Mm-hmm. Please note that Japanese chins are also very sensitive to oral examinations. So it's like hard to brush their teeth? A little bit. You have to get them, you have to train them very early on and get them used to it. And you have to use like a, a very soft bristle, bristled toothbrush. Also, if a vet is kind of getting a little like trying to see what's up, if they have something wrong, it... You know, like they the just, dentist vet. Yeah. The dentist vet? Don't, don't all vets <laughs> just look at... Did I say Dentist. No, I said dentist vet, but do they have special doctors for the teeth of dogs? I think your vets just do that. Finally, they have a small stumpy nose with wide set nostrils, but that doesn't mean that they're wide nostrils. They're just widely set. Right. I see that. Okay. They are small. They get a big kind of buttony nose. Yeah. The Japanese chin has a lot of fur. They're single coated and have a soft, silky textured fur that lays straight. Their fur is described in their standard as having a, quote, resilient texture that stands out from the body. A mane forms around their neck, shoulders, and chest as well. On their tail, the fur creates a plume, which I just mentioned. Yeah, it definitely looks like a Pomeranian when they grow it out more. Very much an Asian Pomeranian. Not so spitzy, just kind of like if a, like almost like a pug in a Pomeranian traded spaces. (laughs) Pugranian. Okay, so they do have a few different colors. So the first one is just plain black and white, which is, I think, kind of the cutest one. Ah. Yeah. The next is red and white. According to the... (laughs) (laughs) Well, that photo is a little (laughs) strange. Not as cute as the first one. I suppose. (laughs) The standard standard describes that red can mean all shades of red, orange, lemon, and sable, and can be intermingled or overlaid with black. So it can have black and red, but it cannot have like, I don't really know. I guess, it, yeah, it has to be like 
inside of its coloring. It can't have black and red spots, I think, is what that means. When I say, when I read overlaid, I usually assume that that means, like, some dogs have that, like, almost, like, sheen layer of fur that kind of, like, lightly colors the rest of their fur. Right, yeah. Yeah. The last color that this breed has is black and white with tan points. So Mm. this is something that uh, I think is also really cute. (laughs) They have, like, little, like, tufts of tan fur right above their eyes, on their cheeks, um, and it also, it has to be on there. According to the standard, the tan points must only be over the eyes, inside of the ears, and on both of the cheeks. Nice, yeah, little eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Always nice. The Japanese chin's defining feature is that it's sensitive, but it's very loving to those that it is familiar with. They're not particularly fond of strangers. Though somewhat shy, they are described by their standard as, quote, lively and stylish in movement. So, they're stylish but shy. <laughs> And then the last thing we're going to talk about in this description is their bark. So I have a video here of the bark. Pretty fierce. It's it's pretty fierce. <laughs> pretty much expected. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like a yeah toy dog, not a toy breed, like a dog yeah, toy. It's not even like, it's not even like opening its mouth. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, that's... You squeeze it and the toy goes... Bah, 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 bah. Yeah, it's, it's like any toy breed, pretty much, on the bark. <laughs> but that's the Japanese chin's bark. It's very cute and not too horrible. Uh, <laughs> it honestly looks like yeah. it's not even opening its mouth, though, which when I was watching it, I was like, wow, it can emit quite a bit of sound for having, like, just the teeniest of gap open. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they get more aggressive sometimes or bark more. Maybe. I feel like little dogs have to kind of be aggressive and bark so they can... That's kind of like their only resort. (laughs) They don't have any like body power. But anyway, that's all of the basic information about like the description of the Japanese chin. And then as usual, we're going to take a quick break right here. You'll hear from another one of our shows or an ad, and then we will be right back. Hello, listeners. Wesley here to talk to you a little bit about how you can support this show. For each episode of all of our podcasts here at Arcadia, we spend our own money on books, articles, and other materials so that we can bring you podcasts that are thoroughly researched and fact-checked. All of the hosts and producers of these shows also work full-time jobs in addition to the podcast so that we can support this passion we all share. If you'd like to support us at We're Getting a Dog, as well as the other podcasts in the Arcadia Podcast Network, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash we're getting a dog or our website, we're getting a dog.com slash support for as low as $2 per month. You can get access a day early to every new episode of we're getting a dog and other Arcadia podcast network shows such as coffees on and good food for bad friends. And at higher levels, you can get one of a kind swag. Thank you for supporting the Arcadia Podcast Network and for listening to this podcast. Now back to the show. And we are back with the Japanese chin. Yeah, very cute little dogs. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get into the history now. And I'm going to tell you, this history is lengthy. It's going to be the biggest part of the episode. But, you know, if you're if I'm hosting the episode on this show, you should come to expect that <laughs> <laughs> at this point. All right. So, starting in, like, ancient history, like, history from long, long time ago. So, the Japanese chin's history before the modern era is shrouded in, according to one article, quote, 
the mysticism of Far East ancient rites, end quote. Okay. Good start, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is much speculation... I'm going to turn myself down a little bit. There is much speculation that they originated in China before Japan was its own governed land, or mm. basically before it had a centralized government. There is a very common theory that has some support to it that the Japanese Chin and the Pekingese may have at one point been the same breed of dog. Ah, yeah, they the, do look pretty similar. <clears throat> mm -hmm. The Pekingese came out of breeders deciding to tailor the dog's look to create a separate breed, or what I call designer breeding. In the modern era, I would also say that the Golden Doodle and other breeds that have been crossbred for look and function would be a strong a modern equivalent to how... The Pekingese was separated off, and one became the Japanese Chin, one stayed the Pekingese. I see, yeah. Yeah. Though the Pekingese became increasingly popular, the Japanese Chin did not suffer in popularity either. It's speculated that the breed had been widely established among the elite and royalty in China since possibly the 4th century, which was the Jin Dynasty. According to an article published by The Guardian, when the Japanese Chin's DNA was compared with that of other dog breeds, it was found that it is most closely related to the Pekingese, Lhasa Apso, and the Shih Tzu. In many of the sources of these dog breeds, there are references to these Chinese breeds being celebrated for the religious ties to the Buddhist lion dog. And we talked about that very early on. Yeah, the I Shih Tzu with, episode. Yeah, with Shih Tzus in season one. Yeah. yeah. So, I do remember... Uh, you covering that moving now on to like sort of like documented recorded history of japan the prevailing tall tale of how the japanese chin came over to the island of japan is that a chinese emperor whose name i could not find gifted several dogs to the court of japan other iterations place the emperor not as chinese but as korean Doing some date searching, it could have been during the 8th century, during the northern and southern states period of their long governing history in Korea. Regardless of which empire of Asia, although I'm probably going to lean more towards China since the DNA proximity with Pekingese, mm. uh, since they introduced right. the breed to Japan, the Japanese chin became the dog of Japan... Bleh. The Japanese chin became the dog of Japan's nobility. So a note on the importance of the dog in Japanese culture. Dogs, or inu, are sacred animals and should never be harmed by humans. The early peoples of Japan relied on dogs to assist them with everything from hunting to generating warmth for travelers and their families. We've covered Akita Inu and Shiba Inu on this show before, and please check out those episodes for a more in-depth look at the Japanese culture surrounding dogs. But anyway, Chinese travelers and explorers who went to Japan noted that they had such a respect and dignity for their dog breeds. Dogs were also kind of a thing of nobility in royalty, China, you know, amongst the royalty in China, because pugs were gifted around and things like that, too. And so were Shih Tzus, I think. Seems like the only people, you know, that early in history that were interested. In yeah. <laughs> Desi um, you know, designer dog. Breeds. Exactly. Uh, it said, though, and this this story may be somewhat apocryphal, that the emperor of China would uh, would always send his emissaries with the gift of a Japanese chin, although it wasn't called that yet. So it was probably just right. like the short haired Pekingese or something to those he favored in Japan's ruling class as a sign of respect. So they had tried to invade a few times. But uh, when the I think it was. Kublai Khan invaded during the Song Dynasty, and that kind of ruined China's opportunities to invade Japan and take over. So Japan created its own government by then. I so. see. Good for them. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, so they got these dogs and they came to, like, love them. They were only being given to the nobility and the royal class, so the Japanese nobility and the imperial royalty quickly made the dog exclusive so that only the most elite could have them in Japan. Some historians report that the Japanese chin was purposefully made more luxurious and their status as the noble person's dog was exaggerated. According to one article from the AKC, quote, they were pampered, fed delicacies, warmed in silk pillowed beds, and in hot weather were hand fed ice to keep them cool. (laughs) Servants were given strict instruction not to disturb a sleeping chin, and anyone unlucky enough to tread upon the tail or paw had to answer to the severity of Imperial Japan's law. End quote. So... So you could, like, have your foot cut off if oh, you God. stepped on a Japanese chin's tail. Like, that is not an uncommon assumption that some historians can make. Like, these were they would boil you to death for pretty minor things. Yeah. So it's not exactly... Yeah, sorry, a violence warning there, guys. Uh, it's... Y'all, Pre-warning. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... Either way, <laughs> they like the dogs a lot. That's the point. So, you know? yeah, they were very, very serious <laughs> about their dogs. In Japan, breeding was often left to the royalty to have taken care of, as the dog was exclusively owned by the royalty. At a time, yeah. there were two distinct variations of the Japanese chin. In northern Japan, they were bred to be a little bit larger, weighing in the modern way of like 7 to 14 pounds. I think it's pretty cold up there. It, yes. In the south, however, they were bred to be a lot smaller. And this shocked me. Only 3 to 7 pounds. Wow. Yeah. The, these toy versions ended up becoming more popular when they were first exported as well. While some may have chosen to have their Japanese chins on the bigger side, most tried to get them as small as possible during this trend when there were the two different variations. Yeah, it's usually later in history when dogs get, like, extra small. Yeah. It's told that some owners even reported to giving their Japanese chins small doses of sake to stunt their growth. Oh, God. Adult Japanese chins that weighed less than three pounds were highly prized among the Japanese royalty. And I kind of found this, like, absurdly re- like like cute but not in a good way like <laughs> Seems i get like, it yeah the direction this is yeah. going um it said that the reason they liked them at such a small size was because they could be carried in the sleeves of a kimono or in a fashionable basket oh, i've heard that it's sleeves of the kimono <clears throat> about hugs i think yeah in a basket i, I think so yeah Westerners were never allowed to see the Japanese chins as they were for royal eyes only. So if a, and usually Westerners really didn't come to Japan. The only Westerners allowed in were the Dutch. And we'll get to that in a second. But at this time, at least. Right. But yeah, so it was very it was a very like, you know, prized dog in Japan. No, throughout a like, long time in their imperial history. No showing up to Japan. I demand to see the dogs. A shogunate history, too, as well. I'm so interested in these dogs. <laughs> Well, no one knew about them. <laughs> That's true. People did eventually go to you know, find out about you know, the art and culture in general. Yeah. But I think the dogs were pretty secondary. Right. So, during the Edo period, which was 1600 to 1868, the government of Japan turned away from Western cultures. Afraid of Western influence, the shogunate banned Christianity and did not allow any of their people to travel abroad or return from traveling abroad going so far as decreeing that having any means of getting off the island of Japan was punishable by law. So that's pretty intense. So they shut off completely. Yeah, they the laws, yeah, their punishment's pretty severe. Yeah. Yeah. The only foreigners from Europe allowed onto the island were the Dutch, who had previously established an industry-boosting trading post in Nagasaki. 
This practice continued until 1853 when President Millard Fillmore sent U.S. Navy Commodore Matthew C. Perry, and I would love a friend's joke inserted here. <laughs> no, we've talked about this guy before. Really? Yeah, you don't remember? I'm not recalling, no. Yeah, <laughs> I forget which episode. I, I don't, yeah, I really don't remember what episode, but yeah, we talked about Matthew Perry before and his yeah, trip to Japan. Well, either way, so we've mentioned him before. So at some point, <clears throat> at some point, just keep searching. Yeah, it's in there. So <laughs> in the archives. Uh, so Millard Fillmore, President Millard Fillmore sent him to Japan basically to force them to open their ports to American trade. Right. He threatened military action if the Japanese government didn't comply, demonstrating his military machine's prowess by having his men fire the weaponry into the water at close range to Japan's shores. Japan needed time to decide whether they would open their country to trade with America, and so Commodore Perry left. The Japanese government, meanwhile, had a very difficult time deciding what to do. They had such a hard time, in fact, they ultimately decided to poll the citizens of Japan. At least those who had any kind of sway, I suppose. I don't remember that. This was, yeah, I found this in an article, and it's not, it doesn't sound like they took, like, a democratic vote. It was like... Those of you who have money, right. what do you think we should do? Yeah, the old form of democracy. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, either way, it kind of came up like a draw. Like, no one... There was, like, half on one side, half on the other. There was no real conclusion from it. Um, and so, Commodore Perry returned to Japan the next year in 1854 with an even bigger military fleet with him. And he implied that he wouldn't leave without a trade agreement... And then he continued to make, and I put in quotes, like, negotiations, so to speak. Just like when Matthew Perry wouldn't get off TV and Friends <laughs> with like, a... kept trying to get a new show over and over. He was on a lot of shows before Friends, though. Uh, <laughs> with the ja- He tried to make negotiations with the Japanese government more difficult than they should have been. And on top of that, he openly insulted Japanese culture while essentially forcing the shogunate to establish a peace and trade agreement with the United States. Well, that sounds ideal. Yeah. The insult of... Well, okay, so the insult to Commodore Perry was that they weren't Christian, and they didn't allow Christianity in the country. So he believed that being Christian would, like, set them free from their, like, backward culture. You know, the very, like, Christian colonist point of view. The Japanese government relented, and in return, they gifted Commodore Perry seven of their royal Japanese chins as a sign of, you know... We have open trade with the United States. And then by 1858, there was a full trade agreement between the two countries because modernization took over kind of at that point, too. But uh, Matthew Perry, the Commodore, he distributed the dogs rather evenly. One pair went to the newly elected president, Franklin Pierce. Another went to another pair went to Queen Victoria of England as always with Queen Victoria, her position helped to popularize the Japanese chin among the aristocracy of England, Great Britain, and eventually Europe. Nice. Yeah, I think we talked about Perry in the President's episode. With, okay. Yeah, Frank LaPierce had a Definitely. Japanese chin. Okay. It said that these dogs were named... Okay, oh, this sentence I burst out laughing when I wrote it. This is what Queen Victoria named the pair of Japanese chin she was given from Commodore Perry. Chin Chin Erst and Wee Woo. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She's writing her own manga wee-woo, about wee-woo. him, too. Wee-woo. I just think of Patrick. Wee-woo. <laughs> okay. So Queen Victoria also gave then Princess Alexandra and Prince Edward VII Japanese chins as wedding gifts as well. The future Queen Alexandra was often painted or photographed with her chins. 
I should say her Japanese chins, because if I say that <laughs> out of context, it'll sound like she had many chins. I don't think anyone... <laughs> well, who's going to get that so out of context? Someone will just soundbite that, and, you know, it'll just be like, she had many chins. And the royalty will be shocked. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, both Victoria, both queens Victoria and Alexandra played major roles in the worldwide exposure to the breed. The royal families... It's of the, always England. It always it's is always England. bloody England, it is. <laughs> God, we're... Okay. We have a lot of English listeners. Thank you <laughs> we very can't, much. We can't blame them for that. Yeah, thank you. The royal families of the 19th century were also pretty much related to each other in some way around Europe, so that really only helped to right. quickly advance... That was healthy. ...the dog's popularity among all European nobility. Right. So we've talked a lot about Japan and the rest of the world. Now it's time to come to America... Ooh, everyone's interested now. Yeah, oh yeah, we're drawing him in. <laughs> the inch, the cool place. <laughs> yeah. Where important history happens. So in America, Japanese chins were equally as popular with the wealthy elites. They were they were originally known as the Japanese Spaniel. So when they got to America, they weren't called okay. the Japanese chin, they were called the Japanese choice. Spaniel. Yeah. I think they can look a little Spaniel-y a little bit. I think anything that had kind of a rounded forehead was just considered a Spaniel. It was little. Yeah. But Spaniels had like real noses, though. They do. That's why they renamed it. Well, anyway, they were accepted by the AKC in 1888 under the name Japanese Spaniel. Wow. Just as they were gaining the popularity that led to their peak fashionability during the turn of the 20th century. So they were really popular from, like, when the AKC got them up until maybe, like, 1920. must have been one of the first, like, Asian breeds accepted. Yeah. So that, yeah, it was mostly European breeds early on. Definitely. Well, I feel like weren't Lhasa Opsos really early in there? Or was it Pugs? I don't know. Probably. Anyway. <laughs> World War II caused all trade to stop with Japan, obviously, because we went to war with them and a handful of dedicated breeders collaborated in america to ensure that the japanese chin wouldn't suffer endangerment or extinction due to lack of imports they Mm. used the best american and european stock to keep the breed afloat during the war years trade was quickly restored after the end of world war ii though as the rebuilding and remodernization of japan started the akc changed its name from japanese spaniel to japanese chin in 1977 and that was when they officially categorized it as a toy breed so I assume it was miscellaneous for a very long time in that case. Was Japanese chin still a name being used that whole time? Like- I think so in other countries because it's never mentioned as Japanese Spaniel in any European history I read, in any Japanese history I found. I think they just had a different name for them here. Or maybe... So everywhere can- else was already calling them Japanese chins? I guess. Here. Well, I mean, think about it. Queen Victoria's was named Chin Chin. That's true. Like, you know, the- and Wee Woo... We can't forget Wee Woo. <laughs> yeah, they were called Japanese Wee Woo chins get a, before. I want to get an Asian dog and name it Wee Woo. <laughs> <laughs> so overall, the Japanese chin has never really lost its worldwide popularity. It's still popular around the world. In America, at least as of 2022, they are the 104th most registered breed in the United States out of 202. Oh, weird. So they kind of sit in the middle of the whole registry, but... Yeah, I figured they'd be higher, just because I've heard of them before. Definitely. I mean, they've been around for a long time, but it sounds like they are very, you know, they're not very outdoorsy. They're not really capable of doing a lot of things. They're really good for just, like, really literally being a lap dog. Yeah. So, and I wonder if that trend kind of ended at some point for dogs. People kind of want a more active breed nowadays, usually. Yeah, there's a lot of similar breeds, too. That's true. Yeah, and that are more popular, like the Shih Tzu or the Havanese. So, yeah. 
Well, either way, that's that's the history of the Japanese chin for you. It was a bit of a longer one this time. Very interesting. Cool. Yeah, very colorful. I had to. I wanted to include a lot of that other stuff too, just to kind of paint the full picture for you, dear listeners. So. Yeah, sorry. Thank you for entertaining my military history. I realize now I'm developing a strong like of military history, which is oh. very strange. <laughs> but my, it's like always been my least favorite history. In, but it's like in the guise of cultural history and how that shapes how the wars happen. Well, yeah, def- the wars definitely shape a lot too. Yeah, <laughs> it's all it's all inclusive, but it, it is kind of a fascinating thing to read about and how this little dog was hidden from the world by the imperial royalty yeah but either way that's really cool i thought it was really good history but we're gonna take another quick break and then we're gonna come back with the ownership side of the japanese chin nice we'll be back when you wake up in the morning and get ready for the day what's the one thing you're sure you won't miss Well, according to the National Coffee Association, if you're like 64% of all Americans, you're probably going to have a cup of coffee. Hi, my name is Richard Eisloffel, and I love coffee. I've been drinking it consistently since I was about 15 years old and have worked off and on as a barista for over four years. Though I haven't worked in the coffee field for some time now, I've recently took an interest in knowing more about coffee its origins, its history, its chemical makeup, how we get different flavor profiles, and its current cultural status. To do this, I turn to my best friend of over 10 years, Wesley Van Hoosen. Hello there, I'm Wesley. He is probably the most well-read person I know. Books have always been a part of his life, and I know that, like myself, he has a thirst for knowledge. So I asked him one day, Wesley, do you know any good books on coffee? To which he responded, No, actually, none that I've ever found. And I have to say, that took me by surprise. You would think out there, somewhere, is a manuscript detailing everything you need to know about coffee, from how it's made to how it made its way into the fabric of our society. But no, there really isn't. So that's when Wesley and I decided to do it ourselves. Welcome to Coffee's On, where every episode we'll learn something new about the marvelous beverage that is coffee. In this popcorn-style series, we'll use every episode to do a deep dive into some facet of coffee consumption or production. And with every episode, we'll be trying a new brew of coffee, so we can continue to open our palates as well as our minds. In addition, we'll close each episode with a fun fact, myth, or legend about this magical drink. So tune in during your morning routine, daily commute, or afternoon pick-me-up, and we'll tell you all there is to know about the most consumed beverage in America. You can listen to Coffee's On on Spotify or wherever you stream podcasts. From the Arcadia Podcast Network. And we are back. Back. <laughs> Thank you, Dylan, for our ownership tips and information of the Japanese chin. So, awesome. first thing, and I always feel like I just realized this is kind of a, a like a downer way to lead it off. Common medical concerns. 
Woo! Having fun, like training. Oh, no, what? I'm I, a m- 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 medical concern. No, I skipped a tab. I'm so sorry. It was breed training. So, okay. can you do the breed training one then? Breed training? No, God, it'd be breed training. Breed training. Okay, no, we're moving. Everyone loves the tr sound. So, the first breed specific training. Japanese chins can be trained to be shown, but historically, these dogs were bred to be companions. Not for athleticism or working abilities. These are loyal little dogs that will want to stay by your side. Which is cute. So they're not really like, you know, agility. They're not really into all the stuff you can do for show dogs. You can do it. So the show dogs have to be, what, bred a little different? Like probably different lines, well, they're toy different bre- personalities. They're kinda. toy breeds. So it's really based on appearance, honestly, kind of at that point. A lot of the toy breeds, it's based on like not necessarily their function as a job per Breed, they don't have jobs. Well, yeah, but show dogs in general, they have to be like sort of uh, motivated. Yeah, to... that too. Yeah, they have to have like a, a quality to them. Training difficulty. Uh, I just announced it like it's a PowerPoint. <laughs> this breed only responds to positive reinforcement and can be, quote, cat-like in their hesitancy to train. So sometimes they can kind of just paw at things too. I've seen videos of them just kind of like pawing at stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> that's what a cat does. Like, uh, But they're very hesitant they can be very like i don't know like so that's a quality that's commonly described for this dog because there's oh you're gonna say something oh no it's interesting because this dog is so sensitive and small harshness towards them is never good in any way they like to yeah they like to learn simple tricks and will stay happy if their training is fun entertaining or interactive with their owner the only thing that is absolutely required, besides all the regular things like, you know, sit, stay, down, roll over, shake. I guess shake isn't necessary, but... <laughs> Gotta know how to shake. But, like, besides all of the absolutely, like, necessary things you should always teach every dog, you absolutely need to leash train the Japanese chin because they are so small. So they should never be let off leash. They're just too little, and they can... You know, they, they're not fast enough to really get anywhere. But at a really the same tight time, fence. No holes. You just don't, you know, they can be, the obviously, they're, too, they're just very little. So you always want to have them in the correct leash. Uh, if you don't know what kind of leash you should get, honestly, I would say consult your vet. Just because they're going to have the best idea for the kind of dog you have. They will need minimal amounts of exercise, too, in the form of short walks or just like simple playtime with toys. So, but don't be too hard on them. Like, they're fragile. I said fetch! (laughs) Come on, Wee Woo! (laughs) Come on, Wee Woo! Damn! (laughs) F***ing Wee Woo. (laughs) Okay, so the next now is common medical concerns. The first is dental hygiene issues, which is also in part due to their oral sensitivity. So you always want to make sure you brush their teeth. You know, use a soft bristle brush, get a, you know, a pretty non-abrasive toothpaste. The, those peanut butter toothpastes dogs love. Or beef. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just be sure that you're you're careful with them, but that you actually do take care of their teeth. Because any kind of dental surgery would be, you know, kind of excruciating for a Japanese chin, just based on the information I read. So... Mm-hmm. Good to know. Uh, the next is obesity. So you want to keep their... Obviously, they're they're small frames. So you don't want them to get too big. That can really over... And they're also brachycephalic, so it's just not a good thing. Yeah, I saw that coming. Yep. 
the next is heart disease. So, you know, just be sure to get your dog on their yearly checkup for a lot of these things, honestly. They do have a couple of different eye problems. Cataracts, which is pretty common, and entropion, which is also very common in little dogs. It's when uh, the eyelid can go kind of like underneath itself and like fold in, yeah. and the eyelashes can scratch the cornea of the yeah. dog. So you want to watch out for that. Patellar luxation, which is a slipped knee. Hip and elbow dysplasia, spinal cord injuries in or near the neck. That was just mentioned in a book. Uh, spinal deformities, which is a genetic thing. Portosystemic shunt, which is when there's like a little, like the the parts of that take dirty blood to the liver. I'm explaining this like I'm five. Uh, the, okay, so the veins that take need to be filtered blood to the liver, there is an irregularity where there's like a little branch that doesn't go to the liver and it just gets let out in back into the bloodstream. So your dog doesn't efficiently clean its blood and its liver. So it can get very sick over the course of a couple of years. It is reparable, I believe with surgery, but uh, I, I don't remember the first time I talked about that, but either way, it's not too common anymore. It was it was a genetic thing, and I think it's been bred out in a lot of cases now. So well, thank God for that. Yeah. The next is epilepsy and seizures. The next one is uh, respiratory distress syndrome, also known as brachycephalic syndrome, retained or an undescended testicle in males. That's somewhat common in Japanese chins, I suppose. I guess. And the very last one is hypothyroidism, also common in little breeds. So. Their thyroid can sometimes like not make enough what of the whatever it needs. I don't know how that's thyroids. Works. Yeah, I don't know. Thyroidins. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> when it comes to grooming, the Japanese chins have a silky single coat that needs to be brushed weekly using a natural bristle brush. They should be bathed once a month. Their nails grow a little bit faster than other dog breeds, so just trim those as necessary. Weird. If, I wonder why. I don't know. Yeah, it I wonder why. It seem like they would need nails. Maybe because they're just so little. I don't know. If they have moderate to excessive matting in their fur, then you should take them to a professional groomer. But you don't. It no, nowhere does it mention you need to have them like get like haircuts like very often. Hmm. So like you need to brush them. If it gets a little bit too long, take them to a groomer to keep it in a st- like in a style you want. You you should get them groomed when necessary as well, which is pretty common. In these dogs. Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. Okay. <laughs> That's a good one. Have you been sitting on that this whole episode? <laughs> I just thought of it and I was like, hey, okay. we're talking about grooming. I'll just nice. say it. <laughs> uh, with cost, they cost about, on average, 1500 to $2,500. Japanese chins don't have large litters. And so they'd only give birth. They don't give birth to like six or seven dogs. It's like three or four. So the current and also the current demand for this dog is not very high. So it's a bit of a specialty breed. Yeah. Their breed club website does have a breeder directory that is accessible to the public, though. The breed club website is always in the description of the episode, too. So you can click on that if you want to see that. Their life expectancy is 10 to 12 years, which is not too bad. As they become elderly, you want to be sure to get them to walk as much as possible and take them to the vet every six months instead of just doing the annual checkup. And as always with an elderly dog, just be patient with them. We're, we have an elderly dog in my family now, so we have to be very patient with poor Wilson. 
Wilson, I said fetch. <laughs> uh, I don't know who you are. <laughs> like poor Wilson doesn't he gets so confused now. Her oh, buddy. Yeah. He just officially turned fifteen. Wow. Yeah. 15. Crazy. Well, yeah, it's fifteen like approximate. It's like a million in dog years. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> And then the last thing about the Japanese chin is intelligence. They rank at number 72 on Stanley Korn's list among the Tibetan Mastiff and the Lakeland Terrier, which I had never heard of previously. Mm -hmm. They may not be the most intelligent in terms of, like, the memory repetitive tricks in this study, but they are good at memorizing tricks that win them praise and affection. So they're a good dog to, like, teach, shake, lay down, roll over, you know, you know, fetch. Just fun little things that are interactive, mostly. <laughs> Seems like the most they'd be, you know, want yep. to do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Tricks for treats. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but that is the Japanese chin, and that is the season five premiere. Wow. Woohoo. I can say I was here. Or wee woo, rather. <laughs> <laughs> wee woo. You woo, we all woo for Japanese chins. Yes. Do you like this breed? Oh, yeah, they're very cute. They are very cute. You know, I... My aunt had a Japanese chin pug mix oh. named Ned. Oh. And yeah. And he he right. was a cute little dog, but we didn't know for the longest time what he was. Cause they got him I think he was a he was a um rescue. He was a rescue see, dog. Yeah. yeah, he was so sweet. Very much so. But we figured out he was a Japanese chin. And then when I finally looked at what this dog looked like, I was like, Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> But either way, that is a Japanese chin. I really do like... Sorry. For, I should turn that off. Um, I really do like this breed a lot. I think it's a very cute breed. Maybe a little too small, though, for my liking. I don't like toy breeds too much. I'm very picky with size. Well, they just seem like they have a lot of health issues. That too, well. yeah. But either way, I'd love to meet one and just like, you know, kind of see how they are in person, though. Yeah. But Meet some royal ones. Yeah. Well... Before we go, we have a message from Dylan with boop, 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 boop. dog news. Woohoo. What's our dog <laughs> news today? Well, the uh, 2022 Puppy Bowl just went down. We're recording this on Sunday, February 13th. Yeah, we, yeah, obviously we. Puppy Bowl Sunday. Yeah, puppy, everyone calls we, it. It's already, the Puppy Bowl's over, so we can record now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everyone's gone home now. Yep. It's all over. <laughs> All the dogs that were rooting for it. Just in case you missed it, uh, Team Fluff took away the victory at the 18th annual Puppy Bowl on Sunday. Nice. A slim margin beating out Team Rough. Ugh. And you know they're pretty rough, so Team Fluff really bought the heat. Definitely. The score of 69 to 66. Wow. Razor thin margins here, mm-hmm. folks. What is a goal for them? Uh, I think it's when you run a toy into the end zone. I got it. Okay. Well, it Team Fluff brought the heat. Three hours. Wow. Them, yeah, they must be napping pretty hard yep. right now. <laughs> <laughs> Working out their contracts. I mean, Team Fluff, they're going to they're gonna get paid next year. Yep. <laughs> Wouldn't, I hope they were getting paid this year. <laughs> Bigger bucks, though. <laughs> they want full ads for the Super Bowl. <laughs> I do love the Puppy Bowl, though. I, I remember when I thought I it went the- on like with the super bowl i didn't realize it was before i think it used to be during and then so many people liked them both that they (laughs) decided to air it prior to this kickoff 
I just want to watch the Super Bowl commercials and then switch back to the puppy. That's what we would do too. Because (laughs) I was joking. (laughs) No, we would totally do that. We would watch the commercials. Like if, like my parents would watch the actual Super Bowl, and then like if I was at a friend's house or something, or if I was like at a party. We would have like another room that had the puppy ball, on, <laughs> right. and we would all be in there watching that. <laughs> Usually, it was me and all the girlfriends of the guys watching the Super Bowl. <laughs> we would all—it's like, oh, let's go watch the puppy ball. Yeah, but yeah, no, I do love the puppy ball. But thank you, Dylan, for the boop a boop dog news. And apparently, it was a special guest of the First Lady Jill Biden showing the new family puppy, Commander. <gasps> Commander. They got a new, uh, yeah, German, German Shepherd, Shepherd puppy. Puppy. <laughs> Did Major pass away? Uh, they sh- wait. I think one of them passed away, and then one of them they had to ship away because he bit someone. Champ, Champ died. I see. That was his Major, oldest they one. Who was thirteen? Yeah. But they got a new puppy, Commander. Commander. Being raised as a puppy in the White House, so hopefully <laughs> be able to handle hopefully it. Hopefully, he won't bite the pants off of like a foreign dignitary <laughs> yeah. like another president's dog did. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah. Teddy didn't Teddy Roosevelt will just laugh. Be like, <laughs> ah, that's my dog. And it's like a dignitary's being attacked. Like <laughs> dogs. I drink Maxwell House. But anyway. <laughs> he was just shaking. Laughing. <laughs> Tremoring. <laughs> That is our episode of We're Getting a Dog. Uh, thank you for thank coming you, back with us. Thank you so five. much. Uh, for those of you who subscribe to us on Patreon, we did get some new subscribers over our break. Thank you so much. Which was great. Thank you for joining. If you want to join our Patreon, the link is in the description of the episode as well. This season, y'all, we are ramping it up on the Patreon. We have some plans. We have some things. We're going to announce it when it is like actually like done, but stay tuned. Otherwise, we're going to be back next week with Dylan's first breed of the season, but we won't reveal it to you. And yeah, we just want to say thanks. And we hope you come back next week for another episode of We're Getting a Dog. Dylan, please take us out. Help uh, your local shelters any way you can, whether that's donating, volunteering, fostering, or adopting, and help control the pet population by having your pets spayed or neutered. See you next week. Wesley Van Hoosen and Dylan Naylor are not pet professionals. Any advice regarding pet ownership and the responsibilities thereof taken from this program should be checked with your veterinarian. All episodes are researched thoroughly, fact-checked, and additionally researched during post-production. Annotated bibliographies of every episode can be found at we'regettingadog.com slash bibliographies. This podcast is hosted by Dylan Naylor and Wesley Van Hoosen. If you'd like to reach out or submit a photo of your dog to be featured on our social media, please contact us at WGAD at ArcadiaPodcastNetwork.com or on our Instagram at We're Getting a Dog. Thank you for listening to We're Getting a Dog from the Arcadia Podcast Network.